I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. So what is the number one communication problem and how can couples avoid it? In today's episode, we dive deep into disagreements with our guest, Laura Silverstein, who is a certified Gottman couples therapist. She shares all kinds of tips to help couples manage differences in their marriage. Laura Silverstein is a recognized thought leader in the field of relationship wellness, sought out for her expert advice from media outlets such as the New York Times and the Today Show. In her book, Love is an Action Verb, Laura helps couples focus on their strengths instead of their problems and guides them with small step-by-step action plans. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Stronger Marriage Connection. I'm Dr. Liz Hale, clinical psychologist, along with my friend and colleague, Dr. Dave Schramm. And we have dedicated our life's work to bringing you the best we have in valid marital research along with a few tips and tools to help you create the marriage of your dreams. Our guest today is certified Gottman couples therapist, Laura Silverstein, and she has been committed to helping couples revive their relationship, find more happiness for over three decades now. Today's topic is all about fighting fair as well as the repair, maybe the most important part. Welcome to Stronger Marriage Connection, Laura. So happy to have you here. It's a, it's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. You are lovely. For starters, you're here to set the record straight, right? That conflict is not bad for marriage. As a matter of fact, you say it's actually good for relationships. Is that right? 100%. And I think that it's so useful to remember that conflict is good. Conflict is about diversity, right? And diversity is about differences and understanding that we all want to learn and grow. And how do we learn and grow if we're not entering dialogues where we disagree, right? So it's, I think, I think when you think about it, logically, most people would agree, oh, yeah, diversity is good. But then when we think about, oh, no, you know, I don't want to have a conflict. I don't want drama. So then we kind of back up and think, no, no, no. Um, and I think it's really useful to just to not be afraid of conflict, but to to enter into it. Uh, so that's my so thought. Instead of no, 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 it's yes, yes, yes. Right. Having the confidence to get to the other side of it. Right. Correct. It, it, it feels like there's really not intimacy without it. Laura, would you agree? Right. Because intimacy comes from connection and authenticity and transparency. So in order to have all that yummy stuff that makes us feel good and close and connected, 
then we have to navigate some of those differences so that we're being authentic. And if, if we're not navigating the differences, then we're almost kind of pretending that we don't feel the way we feel about a certain thing, or maybe we're stepping on our own needs and not speaking up about what's important to us. And then we don't get to have that experience of what it's like to be with somebody who knows us and loves us for who we actually are at the core. So warts and weaknesses in all parts, huh? Yeah. Two, two becoming one doesn't mean that we are one and the same. Right. Hmm. Never, never right. the same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Laura. Um, so you're the communication and conflict um, expert. At least they have a lot of um, expertise in this area. What would you say is the number one communication you know, problem in couple relationships and how can couples avoid it? A great question. So I think one of the main issues that comes up for couples with their communication patterns is sort of an attack defend communication cycle where one person has a thought, has a feeling, has a maybe a hurt feeling, and they don't want to hurt their feelings. They love their partner. They, they don't want they don't want drama, they don't want conflict. So what happens is oftentimes we we don't speak up about what we want early enough. And so then when we do speak up, it comes across with a little bit of an edge, like maybe we're annoyed by the time we finally say it out loud. And so it comes across as a criticism, but it's not intended to be critical. Nobody wakes up and says, today, I'm going to be critical, you know? No, it's coming from a place of like, I'm important. I have value. I have a need that needs to be honored. But if they wait too long, it comes out like sideways then their partner feels criticized. And they're like, wait a second, like, I didn't do anything wrong. I love you. I care about you. So it must be a misunderstanding, right? You didn't, I didn't do that thing you're accusing me of, you know, so let me explain to you why you're wrong. And you shouldn't be upset. And this is the, you know, everything's going to be okay. So the person then becomes defensive. And what happens is that instead of saying, oh, I'm so glad you explained that I'm wrong, right? Then partner A feels like, wait a second, you, you know, you're dismissing my emotions. And then they increase the ante. And so what happens is intended, you know, expression of emotion comes across as criticism. It lands in a way that makes the other person become defensive, which then makes the other person up the ante and ex- express their their um, displeasure with even more emphasis, and then and that escalates into a fight. That is, I would say, the number one issue that I that I support couples in learning how to manage that dynamic. Yeah, yeah, they get into this this almost this habit, right, of this this upward or downward spiral. I guess it's this approach withdraw, and then I criticize, and someone gets defensive, and, and off they go. The races. So, so what's a better, a better way? I mean, what are the things that you talk to couples about, you know, fighting fair or establishing new habits or bringing things up in a soft startup? What, what do you recommend? So in order to get out of that attack defense cycle, there's two parts to it. Number one is how to avoid it in the first place. And number two, how do you get out of it once you're stuck in it? And so the way to avoid getting in the conflict is number one, bring it up earlier before you're, before you've had time for it to build into resentment. And so if you bring it up early when you're calm, relaxed, grounded, then you're able to use 
John Gottman has a great, a great resource. It's called the gentle startup where you say, I feel, and you just talk about your own feelings about the situation in neutral terms. And then you ask for what you need. Um, so that's how to avoid the attack defend cycle. It's not going to work a hundred percent of the time because we still get defensive. It's human nature. That's we're mammals. So we're kind of, you know, hardwired to defend ourselves if we feel attacked. So even if you have this like beautiful, gentle startup, you went on the books, you, you read it, your partner still could absolutely get defensive. And so the antidote to defensiveness is to take accountability and to try to say, okay, even though I'm feeling criticized by my partner right now, they're telling me something for some reason. There's a reason why they want me to understand this. And then by taking accountability, and I talk about just like a tiny little bit, like a kernel of truth, right? Like, like this isn't easy, guys. Like nobody likes to admit when we're wrong, especially if we're wrong and we hurt somebody we love. It's even harder, not easier to do this with our loved ones. And then you say, try to think, okay, where is my partner correct? Where are they saying something that I can admit you know what, I am, I have been late. Maybe I wasn't late every time, like you just said I does, I was, but I, but I have been late. And I get that that's frustrating. Um, and it sets the whole family back in motion. Or, you know what, I'm really bad at picking up my towels. Off. You know, I just dry myself and I don't put them in the hamper and I'm going to work on that. So, uh, and, and so the more that both these are working on doing their part in it of, of criticizing less and getting less defensive, then there's less likelihood to have that conversation in, in a hurtful way. And that's where we come into fighting fair. So then you're still talking about, it hurts my feelings that, you know, I've asked you to do this a million times and you haven't done it. You're like, I'm really sorry. Like I, I can do better because I'm human. So mm. I don't know if mm. that's making sense. Absolutely. Yeah, it feels like it stems almost, um, Laura, underneath this accountability. It feels like the keys in my mind when I hear this is it takes humility and compassion, being able to humble myself, see it from their perspective instead of, and respond instead of react to the, the feelings, behaviors. It's like, okay, what is there a grain of truth in this? And I need to take it, accountability. Is that what? But very much so. I love that word humility, Dave. It, because when we can we we can enter any kind of dialogue with humility, we're realizing we're just saying to the person with whom we're speaking, "I have something to learn from you." And when we enter somebody like that, that feels really good, right? And and then it, it reciprocates because when somebody approaches us that way, you know, of course we we also are much more likely to want to see how we can learn from that other person and vice versa. Yeah, oh, that's great. I, I love, I have to brag about Laura Dave. She's got this really cool skydiving listening cheat sheet. And one of them is to, uh, there's a rule on there about developing amnesia, which I, I, I really love that. It's, it's forget how brilliant you are, right? In this dialogue, she's suggesting forget anything you already know or think you know about the topic. Forget about what you're planning to do before the conversation started. Anyway, I just think it's so, and I think it's brilliant. Forget that there's a world outside this conversation. Yeah, well, just very well stated, Laura. And, you know, I, I listen for a living and I'm still rather lousy at it. 
but it, it matters so much, right? We want to, especially from that one person that we love most and we know, believe, loves us. We, we want to matter. And we find that we yeah. matter as we are heard and really understood. Do you remind, reviewing for us, we've all, I think, have heard them, but I think it's always a great reminder about the four horsemen of the apocalypse from Dr. John Gottman. Where'd they come from and why are they so crucial still? Right. So uh, John Gottman and Bob Levinson did some really groundbreaking research that's ever since been replicated and expanded in terms of, of populations. And what they did is they looked at all couples where a previous relationship was looking at just couples that were in couples therapy. And they wanted to follow all couples to see what were the similarities for the relationships that led that they started after their honeymoon, which is so cute, right? So that these people signed up for, you know, all of these research, these couples signed up for this research where they went to a little bed and breakfast after they got back from their honeymoons, except the bed and breakfast had like, video cameras and they took like blood samples right they were being video like microphoned every single thing they said was recorded and so we learned an awful lot by this research and we learned a lot of things that we thought were important about relationship health really turned out that there were differences uh the things that maybe we take for granted are really really important in terms of relationship health um, and so one of these things, so the four horsemen of the apocalypse are communication strategies that will lead to relationship dissatisfaction, separation, and sometimes divorce. And so what they are is criticism, defensiveness, which we already talked about, those two antidotes, which are the most prevalent ones, and then contempt, which is when one person sort of has this impression and it builds over time that they're sort of superior to the other person. And this can be moments where you just feel like your partner like doesn't know what they're talking about, which is a rotten feeling to feel like nobody wants to feel superior to somebody. So when that happens in a relationship, it's a big predictor. Um, and it's something to be taken seriously. And then the other one is is um, called stonewalling. And that's where people shut down. And intense emotion for some people that helps them feel connected by that vulnerability. But for some people, they can get very overwhelmed more quickly. And so what happens is inside, and we know this from the research and all the like, uh, heart rate monitors and, and blood tests show that, that when people are in fight and flight, they can actually look bored on the outside. So their partner thinks you don't even care about me. You're just sitting there like, you know, not even listening to me. We're inside. They're absolutely terrified. Is this person going to leave me? I'm terrified. I'm going to say the right or wrong thing. And, um, and so what's useful about understanding these four things that can happen in a relationship is that, is that once you have awareness that these are problems, you can also have awareness that they're very common in all relationships. And we also have tried and true methods to help us not fall into those dangerous traps when it comes to communication. You know, I, I really appreciate you going over this again, because I, I heard something differently with contempt. I've always thought it was me conveying disgust, right, to my partner, rolling my eyes. But when you talked about being superior, it's like, oh, oh. There's that mere mortal woman of me. I think I do feel a little superior at times, right? 
that the way I cook is a little more superior, or the way I clean I prefer, especially in my kitchen. Oh, yeah. I think we all have to really, I have to really watch those. What happens when one or both partners continues to be critical, let's say, or defensive, or even shut down, Laura? So the, the quicker you can catch it, the better, because then you can nip the problems in the bud, and then you're less likely to become catastrophic and think, oh, no, this relationship is terrible. I have to leave. That sort of, uh-oh, you know, we're doing this thing um, that we, we want to just have a redo. Um, but if you don't necessarily take care of that, then what can happen is you can feel lonely even though you're in a relationship. And people are very quick to talk about, you know, divorce and, and we don't want to get divorced. But sometimes we don't pay attention to some of these more subtle things that are unpleasant in a relationship to just, you know, maybe you're, you're going to stay together, but do you really feel comfortable? Do you feel not only loved? Because many people, it's not about do you feel loved? Like, do you feel liked? Do you feel like your partner wants to be with you and is, feels lucky to have you? Do you feel adored? Right? Like that's a, that's a whole different category. Like we want to feel adored and we might take for granted, oh, I know they love me. They would do anything for me or they would hopefully, you know, really be there for me if I needed. But day to day, do I feel like they want to spend a Thursday afternoon with me and they would rather be, you know, would rather be together than apart. And so this kind of conflict over time, if it's not addressed, then sometimes people don't want to spend pleasant you know, leisure time together because there's a concern. Oh, I don't want to just fight with you. Maybe they stop going out on their Saturday, their their monthly date night because they feel like, why should we even go out if we're just going to fight? And it's maybe more fun to just, you know, play on your phone and go to bed early or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so painful, isn't it? Just that avoidance is really not the answer. Mm-hmm. And I guess they don't know what else to do. Right. In that situation. So it's just like naturally, I'll just, I guess I'll kind of suffer in silence or this disconnection and we just kind of slowly um, drift apart. We'll be right back after this brief message. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought I'm going to die today started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Let's dive right in. Laura, as as you were mentioning some of the the four horsemen, you know, this criticism and, and defensiveness, contempt and stonewalling. Um, and it all sounds good in, in theory, right? And it's like, okay, yeah. And I can just, I'm putting myself in the, in the listeners right now. They're listening to this and they're like, okay, yeah, if, if he or she, you know, would just do this or if I could do this better. So what do you suggest to people who are in, in the heat of it, right? They're in the thick of it and anger has got the best of them and they 
when partners really flooded and they feel attacked, hey, you know, we, you know what to do as a soft startup, but you kind of blew it. And now, um, any suggestions for kind of derailing this in the, in the heat of it? Awesome. Awesome question. And I also, you know, love that you're, you're including the word repair, you know, into when you talked about setting up this, this podcast, because repair is the most important thing. People shouldn't freak out if there's criticism or if they get defensive or even if they feel contempt, right? It's the repair. What do you do when that happens and can you recover from it? And so 100% of couples have conflict, but not 100% know how to have healthy repairs. So what you're bringing up, Dave, is so important and and really good reminder to to your listeners. So when things start to escalate, it's good to ask for a break. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Like one person is going to usually want to take a break and one person isn't. So I spend a lot of time like normalizing that one person's knocking on the door. Like, I want to keep talking. I want to engage. I don't want to go to bed. I want to, I kind of want to resolve this so that I can feel comfortable that everything is okay. And the other person is feeling like I need to catch my breath. I need a break. I can't handle this. Like the last thing we need to do is keep talking because we're going to end up hurting each other. So the reality is that both people are correct, right? The person who wants a break needs to have that break because both people actually need the break so that their heart rates can come down. They can catch their breath. And how are you supposed to use these great skills that we learn in all the books when you're overwhelmed with emotion? You just can't. You don't have access to your frontal cortex. So, so I encourage everybody to take a break, but then the issue is you also have to have a mechanism in place for coming back after your break. So I recommend a 20 minute timer and literally have my couples turn on Alexa, the Alexa app or set their phones so that nobody's like in charge of knocking on the door and be like, hi, Dave, like, it's time for our timeout to be over. And, and Liz is like, you're like, oh, I'm waiting for Dave and he's not repairing, right? That way, everybody hears the remote at the same, the, the alert at the same time, and you know the 20 minutes is over. And then after the 20 minutes, you might still not be ready to keep talking, but then you can say, hey, like, let's talk about this on Sunday. Let's go for a walk with the dogs, go for a hike, and let's let's talk about it then. And that way, after the 20 minutes, at least it's not that iciness where both people are like living in their thoughts about how mad they are. You're able to be like, okay, we're going to deal with this. Um, And then there's more navigation, right? Because it's like, well, one person maybe wants to talk about it now and the other person wants to wait till Sunday. And but hopefully if you're using that timeout to really ground yourself, then you'll be much more skilled when you come back to, to figure out what to do next. And either one, Laura, can just to kind of clarify this, they're, you know, going off rails and someone either has a keyword or something that's like, okay, you know, we need to take a timeout. So, so it doesn't look like a stonewall, like I'm just avoiding, this is my signal of a timeout. It actually needs to be like something that is said when you're calm to say, hey, we, this is how we're going to handle things. Timeout. Okay. Wait and come back. Okay. Yep. And, and it has to be a very short sentence. Like, like you said, you know, making the signal of a T with your hands or like, let's take a timeout. And by the way, it's let's take a timeout. It's not, you need a timeout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. 
But back in the day, Liz, I don't know if this sounds familiar to you, but like we used to have a much longer way to ask for a timeout. And, and it was supposed to be something like, I'm feeling really stressed out right now. This conversation's important to me. I love you and I want to talk about it, but I can't talk about it now. And like nobody has the wherewithal to do that because Not you, when did, we're you would need a timeout. <laughs> so, so the recommendation has subsequently been changed and really, really short. And the idea is you honor it. It's like a fire drill. You don't mess around. You don't call a timeout just to be mean. You really only use it as like, we need to do this for the benefit of, of our relationship. Yeah. And then after the timeout, the repair itself is the most important, right? I, I often see what John Gottman says is that the biggest difference between happily married couples and unhappily married couples is one thing, and that is that those happily married couples repair. And they repair swiftly. They don't wait for days, weeks on end. So do you mind saying just something about the repair that's short and sweet that we can keep in mind as we're doing this in our marriages, relationships? Sure. So there's all different kinds of ways to repair and, and different couples have different strategies that they've, that they've figured out. And what you said is really crucial is around like the quicker it can happen, the better, because sometimes you can have a repair that can prevent even the escalation or the need for a full time out. Right. If you like a hand on a shoulder can be a repair, like I'm real sorry, babe. I, oh, let me try that again. So there's these little sentences like, um, let me understand what you're saying. Okay, I'm really, really sorry for how I hurt you. So there's so the repair is um it's not it doesn't have you don't have to sound like a couples therapist to have an effective repair. It can be a kiss on the forehead and just hey, hey I'm really irritable, I'm hungry, and I, I shouldn't have spoken to you that way. So it's ownership, ownership, humility, kindness. A reaching out. It's, it's, a, it's a moving toward that person to say, you know, I still care about you. I love you, even, even if we weren't at our best moments. Um, and some couples uh, will naturally do this um, without ever going into couples therapy. And other people really benefit from like, okay, we need to learn how to do this in a way that works for, for us. Because it might be that each partner came from a different family of origin where they did repairs differently. And so they might have a sense of like, how they like to repair. So some couples just need to actually talk about it and say, can we sit down and talk about, I, w I really want to talk about how I felt. And I really want to understand how you felt so that we can do things differently. Um, and there's a little booklet that we use that um, for in the Gottman method where we go through and everybody, talk, you know, it's like step one, you talk about your feelings. Step two, you explain how you got triggered. And there's a, actually five steps. I don't, I don't need to go through the whole thing, but 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 it's a very, very useful tool, especially for couples who are maybe more on the conflict avoidant phase where it just kind of feels like, oh, we don't have to talk about it. It's over. Like, we, you know, sometimes there's a hesitancy to like relitigate. They're afraid that everything is going to go backwards. So when you're in couples therapy or if you've, you know, found some resources online or something like that, then you can use those tools. Uh, and every time you use them, then you'll get a little more confident to reach out to your partner and try to try to repair after the fact. Because you'll be like, oh, yeah, last time we felt better after this. Instead of last time, we just fought all of, we just had another fight. 
I love that Gottman booklet, like repair after the fight, after the fight. Is that what it's called? Yep. It's, yep. Yep. It'd be like that. I need to order some more. Right. So I'm glad you mentioned right, that. Exactly. That. And even online, I mean, I there's just have it. Mm-hmm, pardon me. Oh, I'm just holding it up because I literally was just using that with the couple that I just saw before this podcast. And I'm a certified Gottman therapist married to a certified, uh, not certified level three Gottman therapist. And we, I was telling the couple, I was like, we use these and we literally pull out our books because when you're upset, even though we do this for a living, we teach other couples how to do this for a living. We still mess up and we still need that reminder of like how to stay focused on my empathy skills because it has nothing to do with knowing, not knowing the skills. It's, it's getting into the right frame of mind of like you had said, Dave, humility, generosity, compassion. And sometimes we just need a little reminder of like the right language to use. Good for you. I think another great reminder is in a book you wrote, as well as a workbook, Laura, love is an action verb. That's just a great title and such sage advice we've, we've heard through the years. Can you mind telling us just a little bit about your book, workbook, and what couples can expect if they want a little... Oh, sure. Sure. Thanks for mentioning that. And you're so sweet, Liz, to, to read my books. I'm honored. Um, so, so there's two books. So one is Love is an Action Verb. Um, and it's a paper book, self, paperback self help book. And that's for people to read on their own to really learn how do I show up as the best version of myself for my partner. So that's basically everything that you can do for your 50%. So, um, so that book is really designed for somebody to read on their own and apply those skills, um, with or without their partner's involvement. And then the workbook is a, is a joint tool where I wa- I basically give people conversation prompts. It's kind of like I'm your little couple therapist in your backpack. Like, okay, now I want you guys to sit and have this conversation. And, and I try to do what I do in my office where it's like, okay. I want you guys to each take turns, share what you like about each other, listen to each other, validate. And so I kind of like talk you through it and then have them fill out their workbook exercises to think about the words they want to use and how they can talk about things in a way that's going to be productive. I love this do-it-yourself. I think that is just really great. You know, not all of us who could use a marriage therapist are going to reach out for a marriage therapist, but, but there you are in written form. Beautiful. Yeah, I love it, Laura. We all need a Laura in our backpack. I need my own Laura in a backpack too, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, we all need reminders. None of us, that is a good reminder. That, man, we're all kind of in this together. We're, we're struggling and trying to do our best. And you've given us some great information and tools uh, today to, to help us, Laura. Laura, we like to ask all of our our guests, um, what they think the uh, the key to a stronger marriage connection, what is that from your perspective? You know, it's such a great question because I think sometimes we focus a lot on tools for making things better. But I also think we, we never want to get caught with only focusing on fixing problems, right? We want to really walk away and think about, you know, am I enjoying you, honoring you? loving you. Are we having fun together? I was listening to a podcast by John Kabat-Zinn and he said, meditation is too serious to be taken seriously. 
And I was like, you know what? Like relationships are exactly the same way. Like you have to have fun and be humble and let yourself like fall down on your face and say the wrong thing and just realize, you know, uh, you're a knucklehead. You're in love with a knucklehead. Like don't take it too seriously. Have fun. And, um, and I would say 90% having fun and 10% is like skill building. Uh, that is great, Laura. <laughs> you're an empathy expert, Laura, and you're incredibly generous with your relationship toolkit online. And we want to make sure that our listeners know how to find you, where to learn more about you and your resources. Oh, great. Thank you. So I have a website, which is really the best place to go for everything, um, which is laurasilverstein.co. And it's co.com, laurasilverstein.co. And on there, there's a free empathy course that you can enroll in and just really practice that empathy. And there's also tons of blog posts and free like printable PDF worksheets and stuff like that. I'm trying really in the middle of this mental health crisis to share as much information at affordable prices and, and for as much as I can for free at this point in my career, as you guys are doing as well with this podcast. So thanks for asking. You are very generous that way. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, We'll put that on there, uh, Laura, uh, on our, on the show notes. And uh, so again, Laura Silverstein.co.co, right. For the the information. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's Silverstein S T E I. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Oh no, that's good. S T E I. E I N. Sometimes people do an I E, and I did that too before I got married. So, <laughs> Laura, okay. silver like the metal, S T E I N dot com. E I N dot co. Okay, yeah, thank you. That's hey, before we let you go, we'd like to ask um, just the takeaway of the day. Um, each of our takeaways of the day from our discussion. What do you hope listeners will remember from this as their takeaway of the day? I'm going to use your word, Dave, when you said humility. I just, I want to hold that, I want to hold on to that for myself and for your listeners and for all of us to just be humble as we enter loving relationships. Yeah, it, it is, is for me, yeah, it's key as well. Um, Liz, what's your takeaway today? I, I love that last thought that Laura mentioned about, you know, meditation. She quoted that wonderful, med- what is his name again? Zen. John Cabot Zen. Yes, John Cabot. Right? What a name. Yep, mindfulness guy. He um, uh, said it, it, what meditation is too serious to be taken seriously, and perhaps marriage is too, <laughs> too serious to be taken seriously. We stop having fun. That's really been my my New Year's resolution back in, in January was to have more fun in my marriage. What I about you, Dave? What's your what's your takeaway? With our yeah, Laura, I, I appreciate the the things that you have talked about today. I love the the idea of the of the repair attempt, and it takes that humility, it takes that mm-hmm. compassion, that understanding, awareness. Even if I don't agree, it's being able to try to see it from their perspective to be able to why yeah people do things for reasons that make sense to to them yeah. And so having that compassion and perspective taking to slow down, take that time out. And really to be able to not to rebuild those 20 minutes. Okay, I'm going to reload and then I'm going to let them have it after 20 minutes. But to really slow down and, and repair that, I think, is is critical in relationships. Well done. Laura, man, thanks again for taking time um, to, to joining us on Stronger Marriage Connection. We appreciate you having you on. Thanks for having me. Keep up the good work, Laura. Yep. You guys too. It. 
Thank you. Well, thank you. And thanks, our friends, for joining us for another episode of Stronger Marriage Connection. We'll see you next time. And remember, it's the small things that create a stronger marriage connection. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, do us a favor and take a few minutes to subscribe to our podcast and the Utah Marriage Commission YouTube channel, where you can watch this and every episode of the show. When you hit the like button and leave a comment, your feedback helps us improve the show. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. You can also follow and connect with us on Instagram at Stronger Marriage Life and on Facebook at Stronger Marriage. Be sure to share with us what topics you want us to explore or what you loved about today's episode. If you want even more resources to improve your relationship connection, visit our website at StrongerMarriage.org where you'll find free workshops, webinars, relationship surveys, and more. Each episode of Stronger Marriage Connection is hosted and sponsored by the Utah Marriage Commission at Utah State University. And finally, a big thanks to our producers Rex Polanis and Alexis Alcott and the team at Utah State University. And you, our audience, you make this show possible. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.